Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 635 for April 18th, 2020. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, installment 94 of X. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing just fine, Allison. Um, I am hoping that this is the episode I have been dreading for the last three months. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give the audience a spoiler. I read the show notes ahead of time. They are long. They are involved. And they are amazing. They are. This this installment makes me feel way less stupid for not understanding this stuff uh, earlier when you talked about it. So I am excited. I'm really amped up about this one. Excellent. Excellent. Well, the last one went well. So I'm hoping we can continue our narrative and we can continue to play around with our hooniackers. I I think this a lot of the success of this is to do with the fact that Kaylee made a cool currency name. Uh, (laughs) Hooniackers is fun. Boogers was fun, but hooniackers is my new toy. Yeah, I feel. I sort of feel like boogers might be played out. You know. Oh, okay. We'll see. Who I mean, it, it might make a comeback. You don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, goodness only knows what I'll need an example for in the future uh, when we move <laughs> on into PHP land. Anyway, right. we are now coming to the the the, the 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 big the big bit of our journey into all of those hats JavaScript makes the object wear. Um, and these opening paragraphs in the show notes are getting harder and harder to write as I list all the hats we've already talked about. Dictionaries, arrays, <laughs> functions, regular expressions, DOM objects, and finally, wrapper objects. Uh, so we've already covered all of that. And then last time we laid the groundwork for this installment, and I left you on a cliffhanger. So Yeah. <laughs> I introduced. so mean. It was a bit. But you see, now that you've seen the length of these notes, do you understand why I stopped when I stopped? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think this would have quite fit into a reasonable time frame of last week's show. New. So last time we learned about the concept of encapsulation, which is much broader than JavaScript. The idea being that you take information about a thing, be it a concept, a, a, a representation of something in the real world, it doesn't matter, a thing. In our case, it was the Hooniacker, the imaginary currency that Kaylee uses. And you take all the data that describes that imaginary thing and all of the functions for working on that imaginary thing. And instead of having them all scattered about the global namespace, you take it all and you nicely wrap it up in a single object, or you encapsulate it. And in JavaScript, we do that using dictionaries. So name value pairs, name the data, name the functions, all in the one little dictionary or object, and hey presto, we're off to the races. And that's the first half of the two pillars that underlie object orientation. So OO is like a worldview on programming. Um, the official computer science term is paradigm. I, not very useful to use that in, in, in normal conversation because you've just I've always lost. hated that word. I mean, I understand <laughs> it as a, you know, I have a degree in computer science. I get it. And it's fine if I'm talking to a fellow person with a degree in computer science. And that is the total, sum total of the use of that word. <laughs> Well, it's actually a big, uh, overly used in corporate enterprise stuff, too. Paradigm shift. No, this is a major paradigm shift, you know. It's just like, I can't stand it. You you said the word OO. Yes. That's abbreviation for object orientation? Yes, it is. Indeed it is. So you'll often hear people talk about OO programming or object-oriented programming. Um, I actually generally prefer to say object-oriented, but some people like their Mm -hmm. OO. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. Shorter to type OO, that's for sure. Um, so 
we learned about encapsulation, and that got us halfway there. And then I ended you on a cliffhanger by proving to you we needed more. So we wrote the code to encapsulate the Hooniacker, and it was pre- you know it worked well. Like the, the Hooniacker was nicely encapsulated. And then we did one for my imaginary currency, the squid. And we ended up doing an awful lot of copying and pasting, like an awful lot of copying and pasting. And then I was like, I can never imagine we did this for every currency in your currency converter app. Like, ooh, clearly this is not going to work. So there's another piece missing. And that is what we're all about today. It is entirely about solving that problem. And let's just cut straight to the chase, the magic word that we were missing last time. So last time encapsulation was our theme of the day. Well, this show is brought to you by the word class. (laughs) If I may, Sesame Street for a moment. Thank you, Sesame Street, right? That's one of those things the whole world has in common, I think. Everywhere has Sesame Street. So... What what you discover when you start to think about the, imag- the, the virtual world is it's very like the real world. So in the real world, we humans have gotten really good at categorizing things, right? We very soon discovered that, you know, the world isn't broken into lots of things that are completely different to each other. The world is broken into lots of things that are very similar to each other. So your bicycle and my bicycle are actually extremely similar. So they are grouped together in the class bicycle, Right. Um, biologists are superb at this kind of naming things so what we sort of stumbled upon last time was that the Hooniacker and the squid they have so much in common that they clearly do belong to some sort of grouping and some sort of generalization and so what we need to be able to do is to describe that whole generalization and that's what all of this is about Okay. So to remind ourselves of our Hooniacker, um, it has a name, a description HTML, a symbol, a symbol HTML, and a number of decimal places. And it defined four functions, describe, describe HTML, as, and as HTML. And we're going to just continue with that example. And we're going to keep going that way. So we have this concept of a class as describing the whole set of similar objects. And so that class is then used to construct specific examples of the idea, specific incarnations of the idea. So the class imaginary currency can create a Hooniacker and a squid and a Quatlu and a bar of gold press latinum. Do you see the distinction there? Yeah. So Well, yeah. So, so like, you could have a class of bicycle, but you need to know some stuff about how to construct a bicycle. You know, you're going to need a couple of wheels. You're going to need some handlebars, some gears. But yeah. that isn't a bicycle yet. It's a, it's a constructor for a bicycle. But it isn't Bart's bicycle or Allison's bicycle yet. Exactly. And so the class imaginary currency defines everything we need to stamp out imaginary currencies. But it doesn't actually create a single one. We use the class to make the imaginary currencies. So this is where the word instance marches into our conversation. So an instance is one of those objects that has been stamped out by the class. So you use a class to create these encapsulated data structures that we are going to call instances. And 
instances are objects. They are objects of a specific class. So if we make a class imaginary currency and we make the Hooniacker, then we can say that the Hooniacker is an instance of imaginary currency. And Hooniacker is an object. And it got constructed by... It got constructed by the constructor function we haven't quite mentioned, though we're getting darn close to mentioning it. We're skating around it here. So I have tried to do in the show notes as a technique I've used a few times before where I bold the really, really important sentences so that in future when you come back here to have a wee scan, you can jump straight to the important stuff. Oh, good. Because I do find that hard. I make Dorothy look stuff up for me and tell me where it is. Well, I mean, Dorothy's index will get you to the right page, but then you're still faced with a wall of text. So that's why I'm sort of hoping right. that by picking things out in, in bold text when it's the, the the absolutely essential point I want to get across. Um, okay. Also helps me when we record these to find the bit of phraseology I don't want to mess up. Okay. So the first of these key takeaways before we move any further, an object is a data structure that encapsulates data and functions. So everything we did last week, they were objects, right? The Hooniacker was an object and the squid was an object. So data plus and functions. And it had data and functions, right. So that had the data we knew to build it and the function to do the things specifics. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, if we have a class that represents an idea or thing, then every object constructed by that class is said to be an instance of that class which implies that all instances are objects. Ah, good point. Good point. Okay. So the way to think... the commutative property of equality there. (laughs) Indeed. So the way to think of it is that a class represents an abstract concept and instances represent specific manifestations of that concept. Okay. So within our classes... There are going to be, for us, two types of function. I may as well get the next bit out of the way. Listener Jane, I know what you're thinking. There's three. Indeed there are. There's something called static functions. I think you mean listener Jill, don't you? Yeah, I do. What, my brain, obviously I'd have not had enough wonderful, wonderful <laughs> Helma coffee. Or it's too late. One of the two. We, we must, uh, we got to make sure we talk to the right person who complains. Or yes. ha- corrects, helps. Yes. There are another group of things called static functions, and they are cool. Um, And we actually talked about them the first time we tried this in installment 48. I am intentionally leaving them out so as not to muddy the waters here today. So for us today, there are two. And it is true that there are two. It's also true there are two plus one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there's two kinds of functions. That are going to be defined by our classes. That one of them is really special, the constructor, and then all the rest are instance functions. So it doesn't matter what your programming language is. Everything we were talking about so far, and until I say otherwise, everything we're talking about is actually a generic concept of object-oriented programming. So if you think of your classes as blueprints for stamping out objects, then you need a function to actually do the stamping, to do the building, to do the assembling of the instances. And very, very sensibly, computer scientists chose to call those functions constructors or constructor functions. Okay, okay. That's where it comes in. That is where it comes in. It's one of the few times where the jargon is immensely evocative. If I say, oh, this is a constructor. (laughs) 
you're in very little doubt as to what it does. It builds something. And what it builds is an instance of the class. Uh, and, and to make sure I understand, so the the constructor in the uh, in the class mm-hmm. builds the the object, but the object itself can have data and functions in it. Correct. So it's those a aren't those aren't constructors. Constructors. Those are just the functions that this this instance is going to have. do. Yeah. Exactly. Have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the constructor basically, if your class is a blueprint, the the, the constructor is like the the list of steps to take, right? If, you know, if, if an architect just does a drawing and never actually gets around to this, saying the steps, you know, step one, dig a hole, step two, pour some concrete into it to make a foundation, <laughs> step three, lay some bricks, step four, bring in a plumber. Like if no one actually does that, you still don't get a house, right? So the class is like the blueprint and the constructor is the step by boring, monotonous step. This is how you build it. So okay. it's a function. Okay. Uh, and then all the other functions. So this constructor is going to take some data and shove it into the object and take some functions and shove those into the object. So all of the functions that get shoved in, they're the instance functions. Okay. Because they're going to be over there in the instance after you do the, after you do the constructing. Exactly. So when you're writing a class, you write one or more constructors and then as many instance functions as you like. And you know that the instance functions effectively get copied into every instance, right? So this is the the very specific not copying and pasting part. Correct. It's not okay. copying and pasting. It's the constructor is doing the work. And I say effectively copied because if you peel up the hood and peer underneath, you'll realize that that's <laughs> not really what's happening. But again, no muddying of waters today effectively (laughs) it gets a copy of all of those functions so it gets this data shoved into it by the constructor and it gets given a copy of all the functions and then out spits your encapsulated object so you now you've gone from the function's job is basically to take some information and turn it into a hooniacker or a squid or whatever so the data and the functions and out pops your encapsulated object so the output of a constructor is your encapsulated object so, Bart, why does this make complete sense to me now? Because you've <laughs> snuck up on it very, very slowly. <laughs> okay, because I don't remember my reaction being, oh, yeah, that makes sense, the last time we went through this. Good. Okay, now, <laughs> another piece of jargon I want to throw at you. So, so far, we've had constructors and instance functions. We've had classes. We've had instances. We've had objects. The next one I'm going to throw at you is attribute. It's just a fancy name for a piece of encapsulated data. So in our sample from last week, or last time, the attributes for the Huniacker are name, description, symbol, symbol HTML. Basically, the pieces of data are the attributes. Okay, just the data, not the functions that are created. Correct. So the functions are instance functions, and the data is your attributes. Okay. All right. Uh, If you ever see people talking about type, Oh, yeah, that variable is of type, blah, blah, blah. They just mean class. It's just a synonym for class. So you could say the Hooniacker is of type imaginary currency. Or you can say the Hooniacker has the class imaginary currency. Or as I prefer to say, the Hooniacker is an imaginary currency. That seems easier to me than any of those. But anyway, type is just a synonym for class. All right. So I've now thrown a bunch of jargon at you. So um, I'm just going to 
pop it on on a table. So the next time you come here a scrolling, you'll be able to jump to it very quickly. So I am Can I hoping... Can take a moment to say how beautiful this table is? That's really pretty and easy to read. Why, thank you, Alison. Although I noticed <laughs> you haven't... You suggested that we right align the first column, and I noticed you haven't pushed that to Git yet. Oh, because uh, I thought that was a style... Su- that was a suggestion to you, not a, not a it's wrong, so I left that up to you, um, whether you wanted to do it, whether you liked I'm, it. I'm game what? to give it a go. If you think it's more readable, I'm game to give it a go. So one of the things, that, the reason we're talking about the table being so cool is I've been kind of a naysayer about Markdown. And one of the things that Markdown does is gives you really easy ways to make tables simply by removing a colon. I was able to test to see what right justified looked like versus center justified. So that's it's, pretty, it's really, really nice. Yeah, Markdown tables are a thing of it's such a wonderful simplicity that I, I adore them because I hate, uh, you'll notice older show notes never use tables. I use lists all the way down. Yeah. But now that we're doing Markdown, it's so much easier. And so much easier to read. Yeah, yeah. So I am hoping that at this stage, before we go any further, the word object is now cemented in your head as a data structure that contains named pieces of data and functions. Encapsulate. No, well, an object is that. An object is that too. So is an instance, but an object... An object is a data structure that contains named pieces of data. Oh, okay, that's just generic, not in this context of classes. Gotcha, okay. Encapsulation is the act of collecting the data and functions related to a concept or thing in an object, right? So the encapsulation right. is taking related things and shoving them into an object. Object orientation is our design philosophy around the concept of related groups of encapsulated objects. Classes or types are a definition that can be used to construct objects representing specific incarnations of a concept or thing. An instance is an encapsulated object built by a class that represents a specific incarnation of a concept or thing. <laughs> now, why do you say concept or thing? Well, is a currency a thing? Uh, a thing, an invention of the human mind, right? <laughs> I, I could write a class called religion that takes as attributes number of gods. Okay. So I have then modeled something that's very or... much a concept. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or I can write a class that represents my bicycle. You know, size of wheel, twenty-seven point five inch, number of gears, whatever. So it works. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. I got you. All right. Um, the constructor is a function defined within a class that initializes instances of that class, which builds things. An attribute is a piece of data encapsulated within an instance. An instance function is a function encapsulated within an instance. Nice. That is all of our terminology. Uh, Boom. I like the title of your table, Object Orientation Jargon Buster. <laughs> That's great. That was, I have to say, I wrote all the show notes and then scrolled back up and went, nope, this is needed. Yeah. Okay, so everything to now, all generic. Uh, something I haven't said out loud, but is in the show notes, so I'll say it out loud before we go on. Different programming languages are subtly different in how they implement this vague paradigm of object orientation. And one of those differences is that some languages let you have multiple constructors, so you could have multiple multiple different functions for building your instances in different ways, um, but not all languages. So some languages have a very strict, it is one class, it has one constructor, and other languages allow you to have have at it. Oh, you'd like 50 constructors. Sure, go for it. Um, 
Now I am putting on my JavaScript, we're all putting on our JavaScript hat. So this is no longer generic. This is now specific. First rule of JavaScript classes, you get one constructor. Exactly one. Not zero, not two, not three. One. JavaScript, one constructor per class. Exactly. Not optional. I find it confusing to think that there would be languages where there's more than one. Why? What would be the purpose of more than one? Different ways of saying what you want. Oh, huh. So we're actually JavaScript, we're actually going to go there. But in JavaScript, we have to write one function that does it all. Whereas in Java, without the JavaScript, which was my first programming language, you would write a separate function for each different way of specifying the information. So we're, we're going to do, we're going to write, I don't know, let's not, no. I'll tell you what, rather than me skipping ahead, I'll do the opposite. And when we get there, I'll call back. Okay. Stick a pin in why you'd want three. Uh, okay. Because our example would, if I was writing our example, our final finished example, if I was writing that in Java, I would have three constructors. But huh. we only get okay. to have one. All right. Now, the most important thing, which is the biggest thing that's changed since our first attempt at doing this, ES6 changed everything. It was, it's one of the few times I feel it is appropriate to say that there was a paradigm shift in JavaScript. <laughs> it is one of the rare occasions that is actually a valid thing to say. Um, under the hood, if you peek down, the kindest thing I can say about JavaScript's implementation of object orientation is that it is unique. <laughs> Another word you might use is special. Is this like your mama said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? Something along those lines. It is heavily criticized. It has a certain elegance, but it's extremely esoteric. I, you know, when I when I heard on the, 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 the uh, what was it, the, that wonderful Red Hat podcast, um, Command Line Heroes, that it was written in a weekend, I was like, ah, well, that explains <laughs> it. <laughs> anyway, before ES6, all of that weirdness was compulsory. You could not write a JavaScript class without knowing and understanding the weirdness, which is why the first time we did this, starting in installment 17, we, we didn't get very far because we had to do things the horrible old way. And I, we were trying to get concepts across and this really weird way of implementing the concept. And that, that, was, that was too much. That was a terrible idea in hindsight. Um, yeah. So it actually was really hard. Oh, yes. Genuinely, yes. It, in spite it, of the time that, that Jill and Alistair spent trying to educate me and get, get it into my brain. <laughs> yes. If you did object orientation in a normal language first, it was doable. Having JavaScript, old JavaScript, pre-ES6 JavaScript as your first object-oriented language, it, I, that subcircle of hell somewhere. It, the, the cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> Terrible idea in hindsight. Which explains why we did installment 17 and then we circled back in installments 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31 and it still didn't work. Um, and then, actually, we then later introduced the concepts brought in by ES6. So then we, we did it again in 46, 47, and 48. But I very foolishly approached those three installments as saying, here's how we used to do it, here's how you do it now. But no one was on, on the first page with me, so what good is it saying, this thing you don't <laughs> understand, now you do it this way. 
So that didn't achieve anything. So today we're starting over as if the world began with ES6, which is something I've been saying a lot in this recent installments of this uh, series, actually. Um, so I do need to mention that what came with ES6, they didn't change what's under the hood. They paved over it. <laughs> Everything oh. that used to be there is still there, which means all the old old code works perfectly, or as perfect as it ever worked. But now you have a choice. Either you do things the hard way, or you do things the easy way. You now have the choice. And if you want to do... So would you call this, don't worry your pretty little head about that weirdness under there? Yes, I would. But I need to mention it for two reasons. There's two reasons I think it's really important we know that. The first is that the internet does not forget. So if you go a-googling and you look for JavaScript OO tutorial or something like that, you will find two sets of answers. One set will make sense to you having done this installment and the other set will look like Klingon. Like, you'll recognize it as hmm. JavaScript and it will make no sense. That's the old stuff. So if you see the keyword class, you're doing things the new way. If you don't, okay. you're doing things the old way. So just walk away. There is now uh, a better if they way. They say type. Are they on the right one? Uh, they could be either. Uh, the, it's it's okay. not just the word class. It's the keyword, as in the actual, oh, okay. in the code, not in the English. I got, yeah. Or German or French or whatever. Okay. Um. So the internet is still full of descriptions of the old way. So if you don't know it exists, you're going to get very confused. And the other thing is that the old way uses something called proto, a prototypical paradigm. And that means that lots and lots of JavaScript people, even when they're describing the new way, even when they're living in the new world, they continue to stick to the word prototype because that's how it was for years. And so I just need you to know that when you see prototype, it's a synonym for class. Just mentally translate prototype to class and carry on. So class type and prototype are all the same thing? Yes. Okay. For our, yeah. Don't, don't send me dictionary definitions. They're effectively the same thing, and we should call it. <laughs> okay. So if, but if you see a tutorial that has, talks about prototypes, they're doing it the hard way. Maybe. Depends on whether or not in the code you see the word ah. class. Okay. So forget about what you. English they use. They could use either, they okay. could use any of those Englishes and they could still be giving you the correct code. Okay. It's when the code has the word class as a JavaScript keyword, then you're good. And if the code okay. doesn't, if it starts with the keyword function instead of the keyword class, so if they're trying to declare a class called imaginary currency by saying function space imaginary currency, old way. If they start with class imaginary currency, new way. Okay. And All they right. may pepper the whole thing with type, class, and prototype mixed together. And it's really hard not to. I had to reread these show notes many times to weed out all of the accidental uses of the wrong word. I'm hoping I caught them all. But okay. Anyway. So let's just cut to the chase here. Let us make a oh, class. Oh, hang on, hang on. I, okay. do, I do want to back up a little bit. One sure. of the things you said in the show notes when I was reading it was that there are people who think that this paving over and not wearing your pretty little head about it is the wrong way to go. And I think one of the reasons I enjoy learning from you is that you don't ever seem to get cemented into your old ways. 
a lot of people do, and I think we talked about that very early in this series, is that you were trying to teach us to have flexible muscles on this and not, I know how to do it this way and change is bad and I never want to do it a different way. Right, and the reason I know that now is that I waste a lot of time, energy, and stress trying to swim upstream. Ah, okay. So that was a, a, a muscle you had to learn to be flexible with? Yeah, because personality-wise, my nature is to be conservative, as in not change, right? I don't mean that, as, that, not a political point of view. I mean that in the true sense of the word, conserve things as they are. My nature is to want nothing to change. I work in IT. I got over that. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a great big ball of stress. Okay, so let us get practical. So from here on out, it's all examples. And we're going to use the same imaginary currency example because it's been working so well for us and it's familiar to us now. So Plus before, we get to say Huniacker. And we get to say Huniacker. <laughs> so before we do that, let's just say, first off, the key word here is class. So when we want to make a function, we say function, name of function, and then we define our function. When we want to make a class, we say class, name of class, open curly bracket, and then we start hmm. defining our class. Oh, and okay. JavaScript is a little bit strange. Uh, for most languages, defining a class is a three-act play. Act one, specify the attributes. Act two, write one or more constructors. Act three, write your instance functions. JavaScript skips act one. It's a two-act play um, with an intermission in the middle, I guess. Um, JavaScript only gives us a constructor and instance functions, and we have to do the data defining. We have to define the attributes inside the constructor. They're not defined separately. It's, oh, okay. That's what you, um, I didn't understand that from what you wrote in the text. Now I, I follow what you're saying. Okay. So we define the, what will become the parameters inside yes. the constructor yes. and the instance function inside the, no, class. yes. So, so the class yes, the contains two things, in the the cons one constructor, exactly one, because it's JavaScript and you have to have exactly one. And then as many or as few instance functions as you like. And that's all that's in okay. there at the top level. Okay, but the constructor has the parameters in it. So inside the constructor, you have to create each of the attributes. Okay. Which in other languages, you wouldn't. So you know the way normally we say var name of variable and then we use it? In most yeah. languages, you'd have to do the equivalent of that at the top of your class to say, here's all the attributes that will exist. And then the constructor just gives them a default value or an initial value. In JavaScript, okay. you make them exist and give them a value inside the constructor. You do you do the two inside the constructor, which is just different. Okay. And when we okay. move on to PHP in a while, I actually don't remember off the top of my head, but the chances are it's different. It's, it's different in <laughs> okay. many ways. These things always are. So right. the first thing is, so you say class space name of class open curly bracket. Then you must define a constructor function, and you do not get to choose the name of this function. You must say constructor, and then you give it the argument list, and then you open a squarely. Hmm. Okay. And then you close your squarely, end your constructor, and then you define one or more instance functions. And it's basically name of function, list of arguments, open squarely, content of function, close squarely. So the thing to note is that the class defines functions, but at no point do we have to waste our time typing the word function. That's no. implicit. 
right? So constructor mm. is a function, and then the instance functions are functions. That it, JavaScript just doesn't make us type that repetitively. It's like, that's what it is. You're defining a class. It's implied. So okay. it's shorter syntax, basically. JavaScript errs on the side of shorter syntax in its modern incarnations. So the next thing is we need to revisit our best friend in the world, the word this. because Which is just starting to congeal for me. It's getting there. Right. So this basically has many hats. It's another many-hatted thing. So where the word this appears is important. And I am now going to talk about this. So last time we talked about this within an encapsulated object, and we said to think of it as the object I belong to. It's just a placeholder for right. the object I belong to. Right. Well, within our class definition, we have two different types of functions. We have a constructor, and we have as many as we like instance functions. So the word, the keyword this will have a different meaning in those two con contexts. So we'll start easy. The instance functions behave basically the same as what we learned last time with our encapsulated functions, because really that's what happens, right? We're effectively copying those functions into the instances. So what that means is that this is a reference to the instance I belong to. Okay, grand. Yeah, that's okay. I can live with that. So when an instance function executes, this will always be a reference to a specific instance of the class that defined the function. That's so, the this that's inside the instance when you get there. Correct. So if there's a this inside Hooniakers, that refer refers to the instance Hooniakers, not the class. So an instance function is never called on its own. It's always called with a dot syntax. So it's going to be some object dot some instance function. So this hmm. will just be a reference to whatever was on the other side of the dot. Okay. Okay. Right. So you got to like, you, last week we had our function describe. You could never say describe on its own. It was always hooniakers dot describe or squid dot describe. Yeah. So now it's yeah. going to be some instance of our class dot describe. So that means this just becomes whatever is on the other side. And so we say that we call the function on the instance or we invoke it on the instance or that the function is called by the instance. But an instance function, right, it's in the name. There's always an instance. Right? You can't have an okay. instance function without an instance. And this refers to the instance. Okay. That seems sensible. obvious. Yeah, it's sensible, sensible, I should say. Yeah, okay. So that brings us to the constructor. And it behaves very differently for the simple reason that its raison d'etre, its reason for existing is very different. The job of the constructor is to assemble our instance. So what do you need? What placeholder do you need if you're assembling an instance? You need a placeholder for the instance you're assembling. That's what it uses this for. So within a constructor, this is the instance under construction. Um, okay, so the first two made sense to me, and this is where it doesn't quite. Okay, so, so the the instance doesn't exist correct. in the constructor. Correct. So how can it be the instance object? Because it doesn't exist yet. Okay, so at the moment a constructor starts, 
the word the this is a pointer to an empty object with zero anything. Okay, but, but we've got our work instructions to, to build a bicycle and we have started the assembly line. It's starting to move, but there's no parts on it yet. Correct. But so this is still that bicycle that is going to come out the other end that's going to be Bart's. Correct. Okay. So okay. this is the placeholder into which we get to dump everything we want. Okay. So remember I said we had to put the attributes in? Well, this is an empty dictionary effectively. And we as the constructor have to put all the data in. The class will copy all the functions in without us having to do anything. That will just happen automatically. But we have to put the data in. So the constructor's job is to fill the data, pour the data into the object, and then the class takes care of the functions. And then out will come a fully encapsulated object which has both data and functions. So do you end up with the same uh, dot notation? To define it within there? It's going to be within this dot name of attribute. So to, to give okay. your Hooniacker a name, you'd say this dot name becomes equal to. Okay. Uh, wait, but you can't say it what it becomes equal to because the instance doesn't exist yet. Okay, but the constructor is going to be called with arguments that are the values to build with, right? But when we're writing the constructor, we don't have those arguments yet. No, no, we know, like with every function, we name the argument, right? When I write a function to square a number, I don't know what the number is, but I give it a name. Right, but you said becomes equal to... Whatever. We don't know what it, but we don't know what it becomes equal to yet, because that's going to be in the arguments to the... Right, uh, but those arguments have a name of our choosing. The name, right, right. Okay. And we can choose to be clever, right? We could choose to have a default value if they didn't give us any arguments. I mean, we have lots of choices as programmers. The point is, it's a blank slate. We get to decide how we build these objects. The construct That's why the constructor function is for us to write, because we make the decisions. The point being, when that function finishes running, all your data needs to be in this, or your, func or your constructor hasn't constructed anything. Right, right. Right? Okay. If we don't write any code, then you just have a production line that starts with nothing and ends with nothing, which is a very boring construction line. Okay, this should become clearer with an example. I think I'm actually over-describing okay. it. <laughs> okay. So, really, let us now build our imaginary class. This is a first-pass, naive implementation of imaginary currency, which is the name I'm giving this class for building Hooniacres and whatnot. So we're going, to use, we're going to keep it as similar as possible to the final example from last time. And in fact, an awful lot of it is going to be copied and pasted in from last time because we actually did pretty good work there. But let's see how that translates. So if you want to watch along, it's the file imaginarycurrency1.js contains this definition. And in that file, okay. it's heavily commented. And as we discovered last time, Sometimes stripping all the comments away makes the structure clearer. So what's in the show notes is exactly the same as that file with all the comments removed so we can see the structure. It's counterintuitive, but that certainly proved to be true last time. Yeah, so I, what I want you to focus on, I guess, is the structure. And, you know, you can open the file yourself and read the, the, the comments to see exactly what's going on. So class space name of class. Class, imaginary currency open curly bracket, constructor, 
So that's a word we do not get to choose. We must call the constructor constructor. Then we do get to name the arguments, and I have decided that my constructor will take its information in the form of a single dictionary that I am going to name details. Because that just seems okay. like a really good name. I very, very, very often use the name details in my constructor. <laughs> so then so this we just... is something that's going to come into uh, when the constructor gets run. The, the, uh, in order to create the instance, I'm going to need that dictionary of details. Correct. And then the constructor okay. decides what to do with it. And in this case, this is an extremely naive constructor. Remember, this is our first naive example. It does very, very little of any intelligence. It just says, this.name becomes equal to details.name. This.description.html becomes equal to details.description.html. This.symbol becomes equal to details.symbol. And we're just copying the data across. Okay, so in this case, let me see if I can say it. This refers to the instance that's under construction. Correct. Whew. Got it. So we're just copying okay. the attributes in. We're really, uh -huh. you gave me a dictionary, I'm going to copy them in. Very naive okay. constructor. But hey, we have, we have encapsulated data. It is done. Having done our constructor, we then have to provide our instance functions. So they're the same as last time. Describe takes no arguments, so it's just open, close, parens, open or curly, and then actually genuinely copied and pasted. There is not a single character different to what we did last time. Describe HTML, exact the same again, no arguments. As does take an argument, which we've chosen to name amount, which is also what we named it last time, so actually, yet again, copy-paste. And the same is true with as HTML. So those four functions while they're now sitting inside the class, and so they've lost the word function in front of their name, from the D in describe to the end curly, it's identical to last time. Hmm, okay. And this is still doing the logical, sensible thing, the instance I belong to. So when we want to give so, a description, it's this.descriptionHTML, this.symbol. At this point, is this ex exactly the same functionality as the Hunia... Sorry, yeah. Huniakers and Squid from last time. Yes. Okay. No but better, no worse, except it's not copied and pasted. Exactly. We've written it once okay. here in the class, and it will now be copied into every instance instead of us having to okay. copy-paste. It's taken care okay. of. Okay. Um, I do want to draw attention to this idea of using a dictionary as the only argument for the constructor. This is a technique that's extremely common because... People have done research on this, and it turns out that if you need to pass more than three arguments to a function, developers will hate you if you make it be an ordered list, right? Because if you say the first argument is the name, the second argument is the description, the third argument is the symbol, the fourth argument is the symbol HTML, and the fifth argument is the num decimal places, by the time you get to the fourth argument, you're going up and back to the docs, checking over and back. What was the next thing to come? And then when you read the code, it's really unobvious. Like the name and description might be obvious, but then stuff starts to get way less obvious. And especially a function that takes a couple of different numbers. When you read your code, it's just meaningless. But if you use a dictionary, you have name value pairs, and then it's actually obvious what you're passing. So there's oh, a okay. guideline, right? Um... It's not a rule because there's no such thing as rules, but there's a it's a sort of a rule of thumb that developers use. It's, it's like called, parlay. Yeah. So the three argument rule. Generally speaking, if your function needs more than three arguments, you need to refactor it 
and have it take a single dictionary as the only argument. It's one of those bad this smells. Is the, this is the arguments to the function. To so any function, got- right? The three argument rule is completely generic, right? If you're writing a function called make boogers and it takes five arguments, then you should rewrite it to take one argument that is a dictionary. Okay. And in our case, are, we're not talking about the parameters, or we are talking about the parameters. Well, no, we're, okay, so the, the constructor construct. is a function which takes a list of named arguments. I have decided to take one argument, which is a dictionary, and I have named it okay. details. And that's because you have five arguments you need. Because I have five pieces of information. So the other way to do it would have been to have name, comma, description, comma, symbol, comma, right? I could have named five okay. arguments. And then okay. the person using my constructor would need to pass five separate arguments and know what order and they, they would come hate in. you. And they would okay. hate me. Whereas if I oh, let so them... You could, because these are named, if they're in a different order in the file, in the dictionary details, it'll still work. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, exactly. I never thought exactly. about that. <laughs> and that's the reason the three argument rule exists. Because after three, it's too much for humans to digest. Okay. I don't think I realize the beauty of that, but that's one of the reasons I've been able to reuse some of my dictionaries. Like this function over here needs these three pieces, but this one over here needs all five. Yeah. But they're all calling the same dictionary and it doesn't matter that they're out of order. I had not even thought about that. Okay, cool. It also doesn't matter if you pass in a dictionary with more values than what the function needs. The function will just ignore it. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, which is exactly what's happening in your example, where some functions needed five values and some needed three. Well, you just pass the same dictionary into both, and one of them used three of them, and one of them used five of them. Perfectly happy. Right, right. Okay, so we have now defined our imaginary currency class. How do we use it? How do we actually make it go? Well, there's another keyword. The keyword new. So you you make a constructor go with the word new. So the syntax is, you know... Wait, wait. You make a constructor go... You, you, you use a, a constructor. Instance using a class that makes the constructor go. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I have a class and I want to use it to make an instance. This okay. is done using the keyword new. Okay. So the structure generally is, you know, some variable becomes equal to new space name of class open parens, whatever arguments you want, close parens, semicolon. So the file pbs94a.html includes imaginary currency 1.js. So all of these examples you can run on the good old JavaScript console in that file. So let's make some bars of gold press latinum that those Ferengi chaps in Star Trek are so fond of. Okay. So... Const name of variable, well, I'm going to call mine gold press latinum, becomes equal to new space name of class, imaginary currency, open parens, list of arguments. Well, our list of arguments is one argument that is a dictionary. So we open a curly to start our dictionary. We say name colon gold press latinum bar, description HTML, a bar of gold press latinum, a material that for inexplicable reasons can't be replicated, even though pretty much everything else in the Star Trek universe can. Never will understand I just, that. I was just thinking about that the other day, is is they always talk about there not being currency, but there is. <laughs> yeah, and why would, like, you can replicate engines, you can replicate everything, but not gold press latinum, apparently. Magic. It has a symbol. I forget what currency I stole. Oh, the lira. I stole the lira for latinum. Uh, That's good. 
Symbol HTML is our um, font awesome favicon for the Lira. Num mm-hmm. decimal places zero. You either have a bar of gold plus platinum or you don't. Ah, okay. And it's a unitary currency. So that makes our gold press latinum. So the gold press latinum, the variable gold press latinum, is now an encapsulated variable that contains five pieces of information, five attributes, name, description, HTML, symbol, symbol, HTML, and num-decimal places, and all of our functions. So exactly like last time, we can say text.append gold press latinum.describe or gold press latinum.describe HTML or gold press latinum that as math.py or gold press latinum that as html math.py so we use our gold press latinum exactly the same way we used our hooniacres last time but this time we didn't have to when we were defining the gold press latinum we didn't have to copy and paste anything we just it knew about the functions because the class gave it to them and we just told it what information we wanted encapsulated in there in the dictionary and the constructor took care of it for us right right so that is, if you stop paying attention here, I have achieved my goal for the day. <laughs> Everything from here on in is saying that the constructor can do an awful lot more than simply copying the attributes. It should do an awful lot more than simply copying the attributes if you're going to write a good class. So we are going to improve our class in three steps. So the first step is that 99.9% of the time, most of your attributes have a sane, sensible, realistic default value. There are cases where that's not true, where there's just no concept of a default. But uh, generally speaking, there there are default values that make sense for everything. Not necessarily useful defaults, but they would make sense. It wouldn't be garbage. Exactly. There Um, are exceptions. You will find exceptions. As a general rule, friendly constructors should work without going nuts if you give them no arguments. They should just put everything to a default and carry on. They should absorb that. They should just accept that fact. Oh, you told me nothing. Okay, well, I'll build you an object anyway. I'll just give you what I think you should have. Hmm. Okay, we haven't done that yet. Well, we're about to. So imaginary currency two is our second attempt at this. And what we're focusing on is providing default values to the point that if you tell me nothing, I will still give you default values. Hmm. So this is where you, this is where the fact that I use doc comments really comes into its own. So in the comments, I have said that I expect the first, uh, I expect details to be an object. I expect details.name to be a string with a default value imaginary dollar. I expect details.descriptionHTML to be a string, and I expect it to be an imaginary currency by default. The default symbol is dollar. The default symbol HTML is the font awesome for dollar. Um, and the default number of decimal places is two, and that should be a number. All right, so that's purely documentation. That's text telling you what you need. Well, it'll help the user or anybody looking at your code, but you explained a while ago that you use these parameter definitions as a way to make sure you understood what you were building before you built it. Yes. So when I'm writing this constructor, the first thing I will have done is written that comment. And that will tell me what I'm trying to do. And then I write code until the code does what the English above says it should. I've been trying to do that. I'm not very good at it yet. It's a muscle. 
It, it is yeah. again, but understanding what I'm understanding what those things should be and how to write it. It hasn't come easily yet, but I okay. So I'm using a specific syntax because I write a lot of I write a lot of API style code for a living, and I need that. So the reason I use that really specific syntax is that there are apps that take that syntax and spit out pretty documentation. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to do that, feel free to write your comments in plain old English oh. or Markdown. Right. So don't oh, feel okay. Right? So at param doesn't necessarily mean you're just saying I'm gonna have a parameter, it's gonna be an object and named details. Uh, with a default value of empty dictionary. Okay. But it I kinda like that this is kind of structured, but I won't stress out about whether I remembered yeah. to put square brackets around the commenty part and such. Right. So what that is is an actual syntax called JS doc for JavaScript documentation. You don't, it's okay. not, right, that is a different thing. So JS doc is a language for writing comments. <laughs> as bizarre as that sounds, that's what it is. And that language can be read by an app. And that app can take those comments and spit out HTML that is documentation. So it's for producing. Okay. Like if you go to the jQuery website and you look at the jQuery docs, they were not written by hand. They were written using these kind of structured comments and then an automatic app took those structured comments and spat out the pretty HTML page that you see on jQuery.org. So it would not hurt us to learn to write it this way. It wouldn't. And if you'd like to, there's an entire installment uh, about doc comments, which is installment 37 linked in the show notes. I do remember that one. I kind of enjoyed it at the time. I should go back and study it. So don't, but I should. Yeah. So don't (laughs) stress about writing to a specific syntax. If all you do as step one of this process is write the comment in English, that is like not half as valuable. That is ninety percent as valuable as structured comments. Right? You get. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. Because it made you think. That's the most important thing. The structure is secondary to making you think. Because I usually have comments like that in my scribbled uh, notability notes. Perfect. So then you are I'm in the habit. Take this and I'm going to shove it in there and I'm going to turn around. I might not write it the way anybody else can read it, but if it makes sense to you, for as long as you're writing code for yourself, the only audience that matters is you. The reason I have to use very standard language is because I'm not writing code for me. I'm writing code for a team. And when you write code for a team, you all have to speak the same language. It can't just be Bart I, speak. I, I do think it's a good idea to try to write it as though someone else uh, would have to read it and make sense of it. Because it's Absolutely. bound to help future you either way. That is certainly true. That is certainly true. It is better, but it is also, it, you know, that's the old joke, if you'll excuse my, my coarseness, uh, you know, any comment, comments are like sex. Any is better than none. <laughs> nice. it's, it's a little NSFW, but anyway, maybe you say it's like chocolate. Any is better than none. Uh, <laughs> bad chocolate is better than no chocolate. That's no, not true. I'm a Belgian. I can't yeah, that's that. not true. <laughs> bacon. Any bacon is better than no bacon. <laughs> There you go. Anyway, so I have said above in the comment what I want. So how do I make that real? Well, the first thing I do is if they didn't pass me any arguments at all, we should set details to be an empty object. So if type of details is not an object, if I wasn't passed a dictionary, details becomes equal to an empty dictionary. And we need to do that because the rest of the code is expecting a dictionary. So there's got to be an empty one sitting there. Correct. Otherwise, as soon as we okay. got to the next line where we say details.name, you would get an error saying cannot get property name of undefined. Gotcha. Okay. So 
we ensure that we always have a dictionary to play with. So if they passed us no arguments, we have interpreted that as an empty dictionary, which is fine, right? That's, that's a fine thing to do. And then we go through one by one. So we say, if the type of details.name is not is string, then we accept their value. This.name becomes equal to details.name. Else, this.name becomes equal to our default value. Imaginary dollar. Oh, okay. Okay. So the first part of that is exactly what we had before, but you're saying if you didn't give it to me, we're going to use imaginary dollar. And that's the, what was in your comments. Got it. Precisely. And we do exact the same thing for all the other strings. And the only one we do a little bit more work on is the number. Because we're going to be extra accommodating here. So we'll this first is for the decimal places? Yeah. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to say const num decimal places becomes equal to parse int defaults.num decimal places. So if they passed us in the string four, we'll convert that to a number with parse int. If they pass us in math.py, we'll convert it to three. You know, we'll be as generous as we can, right? With parse int. That will that will do its okay. absolute best to make a number out of it. And then we say if it's not not a number. So if not is nan, I hate JavaScript for that, <laughs> but sorry. If not is nan, in other words, if it is a if it is a number. If it is a number and it's greater than or equal to zero, because minus one decimal places is nonsense. <laughs> then we say this.num decimal places becomes equal to num decimal places. Otherwise, this.num decimal places becomes equal to two, our default value. Okay. I'm going to fix one audio typo you did. Uh, oh. Bart originally said parsent default.num decimal places. He meant details.num decimal places. Yes, I did. Thank In case you. that confused anybody, but oh, yeah, I don't probably didn't. A speco, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a speco. Yeah. Okay, so far I'm with you. Okay. I I still have trouble thinking of what stupid thing somebody might do, like negative decimal places. But okay. Uh, okay. Principle first principle of writing code that does that, that is as unbuggy and as secure as possible is assume everyone's an idiot. <laughs> No, I don't want to call Steve an idiot, but I cannot believe how quickly he can break my code. I'll, I'll work on it. I mean, I'm positive everything works perfectly. The first thing he tries will be yeah. break it, it, which is good. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like writing firewall rules. The approach used to be that you blacklist the things you know are bad. That's a terrible design. Really fragile. Go the other way. Whitelist what's good. Because I'm checking for okay. known good. I'm not ah, checking for okay. every possible wrong thing. I'm saying if it's a string, I'm happy. If it's a number, I'm happy. So uh, I'm not listing all the things. you don't have to think of all the things they might have invented. Precisely. So try mm -hmm. to write your code with a whitelisting approach, not a blacklisting approach. This uh, is what I want. Okay. If you're not what I want, I really don't care what you are. You're not what I want. <laughs> right? Okay. Now, personally, my, my process has been I allow no user input that isn't checking a box or moving a slider or picking from a predetermined list of radio buttons. I won't let you type anything. <laughs> As That is actually a really good strategy of interface design. Uh, I believe it's called railroading. Um, <laughs> you basically, you constrain the human to only things you have predetermined that are possible. Very yeah, good I haven't approach. helped the user when I've got to have their zip code. <laughs> nope, you live here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are limits to what you can and can't railroad, but when possible, it's certainly valuable. Yeah. So this means that all our code from before works exactly the same. So PBS94B includes this updated version of our class. So everything we mm -hmm. did last time would work now just fine. But we now have new things we can do. 
So the first thing is we can make an object with no arguments. So we can say const defaulty dollars becomes equal to new imaginary currency, open parens, close parens. In other words, call my constructor with no arguments. And we now have this new currency called defaulty dollars. So if we out text that append defaulty dollars dot describe, it will use all of our default values. So, you know, imaginary dollar with a dollar sign and two decimal places. Okay. Not a bad default, imaginary dollars. You know, dollars are the <laughs> default currency of the world, so why wouldn't they be the default imaginary currency? Why not? Uh, and you can see it works as before, describe, describe HTML. They all work as expected. Okay. Now, in general, on average, your constructor is going to be called in a sort of a halfway house. Not every possible argument, and not no arguments, but some arguments. And as a good example of this, most currencies, as we discovered, have two decimal places. So the chances are that argument for the number of decimal places is probably just fine at its default for the vast majority of the time. So let's see that in action with a new imaginary currency, the Quatlu, which Ken Ray is extremely fond of. It is a currency from Star Trek, the original series, an episode called The Gamesters of Triskelion. We have these omnipotent alien beings betting on everything. I, so many Quatlu says Kirk loses, or the human loses, whatever. So we say const Quatlu becomes equal to new imaginary currency, open our parens, we start our dictionary, and we say name colon Quatlu, description HTML, a currency from the planet, Triskelion. Symbol is the something a currency called the Teng, which begins with a T for Triskelion. No, I couldn't find the Q, so I had to make it with a T. Um, and symbol HTML is that same currency as a fancy pants, um, font awesome, uh, favicon, not favicon, glyphicon. That's the one. Okay. So now, if we do our quatlu.describe, you'll see that it defaulted to two decimal places. We didn't say how many; we just let the default go. So we did say a name, we did say a description, we did give it symbols. We didn't bother telling it how many decimal places because the default is just fine. And that's reflected okay. in the output. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So definitely better than when we started, right? Initially, mm -hmm. we insisted you tell us everything and now we have sensible defaults. So we have made a better class. However, we have become too kind for our own good. You can now do silly things like pass in, say... Basically, what our function is now going to do, when it finds a problem, it just uses the default silently. It doesn't tell you, oi, you were talking rubbish. It just silently uses the default. And that produces weird bugs that are really hard to find. So that's actually developer hostile, even though it seems initially friendly. So an example would be const whoopsie becomes equal to new imaginary currency num decimal places minus three. Well, it will not throw an error. It will just ignore the minus three because it's garbage and use two instead. But that's probably not what it should do. Okay, so hang on, because that's because we said if um, if you didn't give me something zero or larger, then use, use two. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so that string minus three got parsed into the number minus three. Minus three is not greater than or equal to zero. Two it is. Only we've done so yes. silently. But in an, are your example using math.py, doing two for math.py, that isn't terribly wrong. 
right? That's well, no, a valid no, but answer, it, but it might not be what they meant. No, no, okay. So, sorry, the math.py is using our class quatlu, and the output right? has two decimal places. So we passed right? it num decimal places minus three. We probably meant three, and we got two out. And we got no error, no warning. We just didn't get the, uh, we just didn't okay. get what we were expecting. I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So, um, yeah. All right. Spooky action at a distance. There is actually a fundamental difference between not telling me anything and telling me gibberish. If you don't yeah. tell me anything, default. If you talk gibberish, I should flag the fact that, okay, you told me something. What? So we're being all forgiving on parsint and stuff. But in this case, that's not the right strategy? Well, parsint is basically saying, I don't care what format you told me something vaguely sensible. Oh, if okay. I can make sense of it, I will make sense of it. But when I fail to make sense of it, I shouldn't silently default. Just go, you're an idiot. Here's, here's an answer I like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I shouldn't be silent about it. So if you say nothing, I should just take the defaults and not bother you. But if you tell me garbage, I should actually tell you that I, sorry, what? Didn't comprehend. Okay. Okay. So our third attempt at this class, we, we do both. So we say default or throw an error or take what you gave me, depending on what's appropriate. So imaginary currency 3.js. Um, our code is getting longer, so I haven't duplicated it all. There's a dot, dot, dot in here. But basically for each property, we're now doing something along the lines of, so the first thing is, did you pass me nothing at all? Did you pass me a dictionary or did you pass me something else? We've now expanded our first if statement. So if type of details is undefined, and only if it's undefined, do we say details becomes equal to an empty object? So we're perfectly happy to say, if you gave me nothing, then we'll just use an empty object. That's fine. But if you didn't give me nothing, then I'm going to start getting picky at you. So <laughs> else, if type of details is not equal to object, throw new type error, details must be an object. Right, you okay, say so nothing. This is I'm where happy. They gave you something, but what they gave you may or may not be good. Exactly. So may I wanted a dictionary okay. or nothing, mm -hmm. and you gave me a function, auga, array, or, or no, yeah, exactly. You gave me something that wasn't a dictionary, auga, auga. Um, and then we continue that logic for for the for the rest. So if type of details that name is undefined, this that name becomes equal to our default value imaginary dollar. Else. If the type of a string and its length is greater than zero, then we're happy to take what you gave me. This.name becomes equal to details.name. Else, throw new range error. Details.name cannot be empty if it's an empty string or throw new type error. If passed, details.name must be a non-empty string. So we're being really so helpful here. Details can be empty, but mm. details.name can't be empty? No, no. If type of details.name, so if details.name is undefined, we're taking our default. So the first if statement already takes care of details not having oh, a name. Oh, okay. We're, we're out of that loop. Okay. So now we've got something. We've got it. We know it's an object because we're inside that if statement, right? Okay. Well, we can't get by the first few lines of code without details being an object, right? That's what I mean. That's what I mean. So we know we've got an object at this point. So we've yeah. got a, an object and it's not undefined. So something is in there. Uh, right, so but there details on be name something... we're checking now, right? So we're now looking, yeah. is, does this, this, this dictionary we know we have, does it have a name property? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And we're again perfectly happy to say, if you're silent, if you say nothing, fine, we'll take our default. If you said um, something, then we get picky. 
No, you said throw new range error if details.name cannot be empty. So details.name can't okay, be empty. Okay, but that's inside the else. If details.name is undefined, this.name becomes equal to imaginary dollar. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, I missed that line. Okay. Else, gotcha. now we get picky. Okay. Right? And the first thing we say is, did you give me a string? Else, throw new error if past details must be a non-empty string. Right? So that if, else. And then if you gave me a string, I'm going to be even more picky. Well, is it at least one character long? Otherwise, I'm still going to be cranky at you and say details.name cannot be empty. So hang on. How can details.name be defined and yet empty? Define? A, a, a string of length zero is not undefined. It is a string okay, of length so zero. Okay, just, so just quote, quote. Quote, quote is a string of length zero. It is not undefined. There you go. Okay, got you. Got you. Okay. Okay, I think I understood that the first time I read this and I forgot it the second time. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. So you can see now that we've had to do a lot more work, but our class behaves an awful lot better. And the same work is duplicated for all of the strings. And then the one that's a little bit different is the number of decimal places. So, But again, the logic is very much the same. If type of details at known decimal places is undefined, default to two. Easy. Mm -hmm. Else. Okay, we got something. Well, let's still try to be helpful. So we're still going to do the parse int to try coerce it to a same value. And then we say, okay, well, if if is nan, num decimal places, we failed to coerce you into a number, then we throw a type error. If passed, details at num decimal places must be an integer greater than or equal to one. Else, well, it is a number, right? It's not nan, it's a number. Then we still need to be more picky. Is it greater than or equal to zero? If it is, we accept the value. Else, we throw a range error. Can't be less than zero. Okay. Okay. Right. So you'll notice I like to use type errors when, they, when you give me something that's the complete wrong type, and a range error if the type is correct, but the value is garbage. So that's a, that's a choice? Yes. That's not a requirement? Not a requirement. You can You're just, just throw... being more helpful. Correct. You could just throw error, right? The... Oh. The superclass error, error covers everything, right? You could just say throw new error. You don't have to be any more specific, but JavaScript gives you range errors and type errors. And I really do like to be specific. So a type error oh, yeah. means it's just yeah. the wrong thing. And the range error, it's the right kind of thing. Still garbage. Though. Guess again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I think I will make sure to do that as well, because how many of us like to get an error on screen that goes error? Yeah, exactly. That's wrong. Exactly. Guess again. Exactly. So when you're writing these functions, you're being good to future you. Um, the other thing you will note is that my doc comment at the top of the function has been updated. It now contains at throws type error and at throws range error, which describes in English when either will happen. A type error is thrown when the details parameter is not an object or if any of the named properties are defined, but of the wrong type. Range okay. error is thrown when any of the named properties of the past details object have the correct type, but an invalid value. So I, now I'm glad to see this. This explains why when I was trying to write my documentation in the way you were writing it, I couldn't think of any type or range errors, but that's because I had checkboxes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You've and railroaded didn't the user. So... Nothing happened. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have to write that. Okay. Yeah. So we can now use. Our, so PBS94C includes this updated file and we can use the console to play with it. So uh, we can trigger type errors by doing things like 
const oopsie one becomes equal to new imaginary currency string monopoly dollar. Well, is the string monopoly dollar dollar a dictionary? Nope. Throws a type error. Uh, we can also make another oopsie. Const oopsie three becomes equal to new imaginary currency start a dictionary name colon true. Okay, so we have a dictionary. We've gone by that if statement, but name is name of type string. No, it isn't. Type error. That's a boolean, not a string. We could trigger a range error by saying oopsie three is new imaginary currency past the dictionary name blank string or imaginary currency num decimal places minus eight. We'll also trigger a range error. Okay. Now, one final concept to round us out today. So we are now becoming ever, ever more developer friendly by being a little bit picky. Actually, it is actually more developer friendly. But remember, I asked you to put a pin in the concept of having multiple constructors. Why might you want to have multiple constructors? Well, I'm about to answer that question. And it's actually a much bigger answer than just constructors. It's Actually, this goes for any function, really. So when you're writing a function, you can offer the user a choice of different patterns of arguments they could pass. And we've seen this in jQuery. jQuery is full of this design idea. So I've just picked one example from jQuery, and there are so many examples in jQuery. So jQuery's .css function has three modes of operation depending on what arguments you pass it. If you pass it a single string, then the resulting behavior for the .css function is it will return you the value of the CSS property with that name. Uh, you can test that for yourself by saying console.log $p.csscolor and it will spit out the RGB value of paragraphs on your page, which... Hmm. On any page. Yeah, so any page that has jQuery, you could paste that code into. You can stick it into the example files here. They have jQuery, so they'll work. So it just gives us the value of the attribute color, of the CSS property color. If you pass it two arguments, then it will actually change the value of the CSS property to the new value. So the first argument is the property. The second argument is the new value. So if you say $p.css color comma purple, well, now the paragraphs turn purple, right? First option is one string. Second option, two strings. Different behavior. You with me so far? Yeah, I am. I was trying to change the text on your page to purple and it didn't do it. And that's why I was silent. There's one paragraph, uh, which is sitting, uh, there's only the one paragraph on the page. Because I did actually ah, test. So I'd, I'd have to find it. But uh, it didn't work on PBS94C either. It didn't change anything. It did come back saying that RGB was 108, 117, 125. So it knew the color. Right. But P is a very, very vague selector. Um, so it'll only work if there's no more specific selectors with a higher specificity, which there are in the show notes. There aren't. There's one paragraph that will turn purple if you do it in PBS94, A, B, C, or D. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it, it, yeah, no, it didn't change in PBS 94C. Or, oh, you're saying in the entire There should be page, one paragraph, yeah. the second paragraph. Okay. Okay. Because I, I did test it. these. I copied and pasted them earlier, and they definitely turned okay. purple. All right. <laughs> uh, and then the third option is don't pass any strings, pass a dictionary. 
And in that dictionary, you can give lots of name value pairs. So you could say PBS, or sorry, $p.css, color colon orange, border colon 1px solid red. Ugly is that all sin, by the way, but it does work. Okay. So those three different ways of calling the same function, developers call those three different choices, those three different options, developers call them signatures, function signatures. So signature one, you gave me one string. Signature two, you gave me two strings. Signature three, you gave me a dictionary. And in JavaScript, you just basically have to use if statements. You basically have to check what the arguments are and behave differently depending on each one. Uh, other languages allow you to, to, to define multiple versions of the same function with different arguments for each version. So a language that supports multiple constructors will have a different function for each of the different uh, signatures it supports. So in Java, mm. if I wanted to write a constructor that could take either no arguments or some strings or a dictionary, then I would need to write three constructors, one for no arguments, one for the string, and one for a dictionary. JavaScript. In JavaScript. No, no, in Java, I would write three. In JavaScript, it's exactly one. So I have to have if statements. I have to do all the work in one constructor. Oh, 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 because you can only, you're saying you could have three constructors inside the class in Java, but in JavaScript, it has to be one constructor. So you have to have if statements to go through and look and see what you got and then figure out what to do. Precisely. So in JavaScript, you end up with one long function. In other languages, you'd have multiple short functions. I have to say multiple short is much more developer friendly, but JavaScript doesn't support that because it's a Lucy type language. So that's just the way it is. So applying this concept of multiple signatures to constructors, as a general rule, 80% of the time, you'll end up with three signatures you probably want to support. The first signature is, you passed me nothing at all. The second signature is a list of up to three of the most important arguments. I would sorry, the most important possible attributes. So in the case of a currency, I would suggest that we'll just do two, the name and the description. That seems like a sensible default if you're just going to take a list of strings. And then the third signature is a dictionary with everything you want. So we're going to rewrite our class to have three choices for developers. Mm. And to make that clearer, I've given you example code showing the different choices in you. So choice one, no arguments. Const def curve becomes equal to new imaginary currency, open close parens. A name, and so option two is a name as a first argument and optionally a description as the second argument. So that means signature two covers fancy dollar becomes equal to new imaginary currency, fancy dollar. And const monopoly dollar becomes equal to new imaginary currency monopoly dollar comma the currency from the board game monopoly, right? So option two covers both of those eventualities. Okay, so you allowed it to have one or two. Yeah. Okay. And then option three is give me a dictionary. Okay. So that's basically everything we've been doing so far. Quite a new example there. Okay. So that means our constructor just became way longer. Right, because now we have all this logic to add in. So now we have to. So you could write, you can end up duplicating your code. But my our, my suggestion is that you write the fun, you write your constructors in such a way that whether you go with option one or option two, they always get turned into an object, into an ob, or into a dictionary, and then you just use your code for option three, which we've already written. Hmm. Okay, I didn't follow that difference, but. 
Okay, well, if you look at the code as it was before we made any changes, we already cover options one and three. If you give me nothing, turn details into mm-hmm. an empty dictionary. Right. Extend that logic. If you give me two strings, turn create an object that contains the name, to, you know, a dictionary with two values pre-populated. Oh, okay. Right? And okay, then the rest gotcha, of your code gotcha. gets to stay the same because you've already dealt with the rest. Okay. So that's the logic I applied in imaginarycurrency4.js. So we say if type of details is undefined, that's case one, details mm-hmm. becomes equal to an empty object. Okay. Else if type of details is a string, then, ah, it's a string. Okay, make sure it's valid. Then we say details becomes equal to a dictionary, open curly, name, colon, details. Those are curly. So in other words, we just turned our string into a dictionary. Why? Because then the rest of our code gets to be the same. Why couldn't it, why wasn't it a dictionary before? Because we've just said option two, the user passes us in a string. Oh, 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 we never allowed him to do that at all. Right. Before we would have just thrown an error. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Right, right, right. So you're, you're creating a dictionary and now it can act like you gave it a dictionary to start with. Exactly. So okay. in other words, we're treating the different options as way as shortcuts for dictionaries. And then the rest okay. of our code gets to just be exactly the same. So the end result is that we now have a, a class that we can address in multiple different ways. So we can create a monopoly dollar in a nice, easy to read format. Const monopoly dollar becomes equal to new imaginary currency with two arguments, the string monopoly dollar and the string, the currency from the monopoly board game. That's Okay. Easy to read, nice, developer-friendly. Or we can say const dummy dollar becomes equal to, and we pass it a dictionary, and that works fine too. Or we can give it no arguments. Okay, okay, so you get, you're never going to make him do three. I could make him do three, but it didn't make any none. sense in this case, but definitely not four, definitely not five, right? Sure, sure. So this okay. is a really, really friendly constructor, right? This is, we have now written a world-class constructor. That is, that is as good a constructor as I will write in real production code. That is, we have yeah. not left ourselves, uh, with a, uh, this is not a naive implementation. We, we have the Rolls-Royce of constructors now. <laughs> okay. This, this is it. This is as good as it gets in JavaScript. I would like a lesson sometime, maybe a private lesson on how you keep all your if-then-else's lined up i get lost real easy uh, when i write them if i get this many embedded i always write them in pairs yeah i start that way and then they just go off by themselves and they make unmatched pairs. It's, <laughs> it's a discipline it, it, yeah it, it is it is a discipline and it is a muscle that will develop over time and the other thing is in modern code editors you can usually select it and tell and tell the editor to re to to, to re-indent the code Mm. And then if you have missing brackets, they'll become really obvious because everything will jump in the wrong place. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. All right. So before we finish up, two very quick things. We've already talked about it before, but I'm going to raise it again. There is an operator for testing if an object is an instance of a specific class. It's called instance of, and it becomes true or false. So... The syntax is test object space instance of space some class. And if test object okay. is an instance of some class, that will be true. Otherwise, it will be false. 
No, that's easy. Yeah, so we can test that in pbs94d.html. We say const imaginary dollar becomes equal to new imaginary currency, no arguments. Console.log imaginary dollar instance of imaginary currency, true. Imaginary dollar instance of date, false. Because imaginary dollar is indeed an imaginary currency. And then the last thing I want to say for today is I want to highlight the fact that there is a really important naming convention for classes. And it's one I have followed implicitly since we started all of this. In JavaScript, always name your classes in camel case with a leading uppercase letter. Really? Really. Just a way of saying this is something else. This is a class. Yeah, variables lowercase leading, classes uppercase leading. And you'll you like notice variables all capital letters. Uh, yeah, global variables all capital letters is another convention. What you'll notice. Oh, oh that's just global va- variables. It's okay. just global variables, yeah. So you'll notice that all of the built in JavaScript objects we've encountered, array, capital A, uh, when we do reg- regular expressions, regex, capital OR, capital E. The string wrapper class, uh, wrapper objects, they were capital S for string. Capital B for Boolean, capital N for number. Capital so those are all D classes? for date. They're all classes. Yes, they are. Huh. We've been using classes all along, but just classes yeah. written by other people. Hmm. Now, now I remember that the R and the E and regex will be capitalized. Yeah, exactly. So we now have, that's pretty much it for today. Um, however, we don't have perfect classes yet. Ugh. Right? You said, they, we you said have... they were best in class. You said they were nah. gold standard. I said the constructor was gold standard. Nah. What have we not yet done any work on whatsoever? Those pesky attributes. Those attributes have no sort of validation on them, right? I can do the following. Const imaginary dollar becomes equals a new imaginary currency, no arguments. Imaginary dollar dot num decimal places becomes equal to boogers. Oh, look, it just showed up. <laughs> right? That will not cause any kind of error whatsoever. JavaScript will very politely go, oh, okay, I'll stick boogers into that named attribute. And then I try to use my functions. Imaginary dollar dot describe. That's now talking garbage. Imaginary dollar dot as math dot pi. But that's not what it's supposed to do. So, in other words, my constructor would have gotten really cranky if you tried to set num decimal places to boogers. But I didn't give details to my constructor. I built a default object and then changed it later. And the act of changing mm. it later bypassed all of our hard work. I have to do a little better than that. Okay, wait a minute. Where did where did we tell it you couldn't have a negative number for number decimal places? Uh, if greater than or equal to no, zero. Where where did in the we constructor. say that? In, in the constructor. In, in the constructor. Oh, but you can change it. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. We built okay. we built our imaginary dollar instance with all default values. So the default for num decimal places was two. Oh, okay. But and then we later change our mind and we say becomes equal to boogers. But we never run the constructor again, do we? 
Correct. That's why, the, that's why there's no error. The constructor is out of the picture. The constructor is a one-off thing. The constructor happens once. Okay. The, the object... The, the oh, instance, so it's the instance function that has the problem. What's well, not only the instance function, or, it's the actual property. Right. It's unprotected. Okay. It has no self-defense. Hmm. So we have to fix the instance? We have to fix the attributes in the instance. We have to make those or, attributes picky. We have to make those attributes self-defend. But we do that over in the constructor. No, we do that using something we have not yet met called getters and setters. And the entire uh, next installment is about bringing our attributes to Rolls-Royce. Okay. All right. I'll buy that. All right. So basically, <laughs> the problem we have is our attributes have no self-defense. They have not learned any kung fu. They have not learned any karate. They... They can just be stomped all over, and we need to teach our attributes to defend themselves. And we do so using a new feature of the language called a getter and a setter. I'm picturing more like if the if the attributes come in the front door, they, they're checked to see if they're doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And But if they slide in the back door of the theater, then they just do whatever they want. That's how it is at the moment, yeah. That's a pretty good description yeah. of how it is right now. And we need to, we need to arm the back door. We need, we need to put guards around all entrance points, not just the constructor. Oh, okay. Okay. So that an entire installment, because while it's two words, getter and setter, they're very powerful two words and darn cool. So <laughs> that is what we get to look forward to in two weeks' time. Well, I can't believe that I smiled all the way through something talking about objects and classes and instances of and this, and I understood everything. And, and I'm not even, even going to give the caveat that it's going to be gone in a minute. It could take like a whole hour before I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, hopefully is... the tables and the bolding will help it st- be reacquired quickly. Right, right, right. I think so. Because this is, this is probably the best thing you've ever written. This is because I know how hard this must have been because I've seen it done the other way. Yeah, by me twice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to insult the way you did it before, but say this is amazing. No, I, I'm very much of the, of the mind that, you, you know, mistakes are not a problem. They're a learning opportunity. There you go. Uh, and so as long as you learn, it's fine. I'm trying to remember, it was on a podcast. Someone said something amazing. There was a company and their motto was fail harder. Oh. And the basic huh. idea was your mistakes are a major opportunity. Do them wholeheartedly and learn. <laughs> Lean in. Yeah. All right. All right. There we go. I'll yeah, try no, I really have no problem admitting harder. that I messed things up in the past. No problem. Well, I feel way less stupid. Good. That is that is how this series is supposed to go. It's <laughs> supposed to be empowering, not intimidating. I think I'll put that in the in the uh, in my tagline when I spam the world about this episode being up. Hey, listen to this episode. I feel way less stupid. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, <laughs> until right, Bart, until the next time. Much, much, much. Happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. 
Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.